Welcome, friends, to this super fun episode of Peak Curiosity. My name's Abigail. Today, I have Adam Kelsey. He currently lives in Caldwell, Idaho, working as a personal trainer, but he's played professional football in Germany. He has a degree in history and rhetoric. We talked about his life and upbringing, which is really interesting. Then the cons, Auschwitz, and like the fingernail scratches that are on the walls there. And of course, we solved the problem of racism in America. It definitely picks up pace towards the last half, so make sure to stick with it. Here's Adam. So I feel like we should set the stage a little bit. Um, how tall are you? I'm six foot. You're six foot. I thought you were taller than that. Nah, she's Chrissy's actually like she's six one, so like she's taller. No than me. way. Yeah. Okay, and how much do you weigh? Uh, right now, I'm 250 pounds. Wow. Okay. And how much of that is muscle? Uh, see, my BMI last time is, so I was at like 19% body fat. Yeah, pretty good. So my, my large skeletal muscle mass is like 158, which is like a, like a lot, mm-hmm. you know, going through the whole thing. It's like a endomorph, mesomorphic, um, and ectomorph. I am an endomorph, so I have a large body mass and I can hold on to weight pretty well, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> I was thinking that. If I were dating you, I might be scared because if you rolled over on me <laughs> in bed, <laughs> okay. you might kill me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's funny that you think that. Uh, I, I think a lot of people probably would uh, assume that kind of thing as well. Honestly, I'm a back sleeper. So uh, most people find it really comfortable. Well, Chrissy, for sure. She finds it really comfortable just to lay on my chest. I can't tell you within us watching a movie that she just passes out. Yeah. Like, just like she's just like, I got a comfortable spot. She's like, you're like a permanent heater. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cozy. It, I, yeah. I definitely have like, it's like I'm a big guy, but not like, like super muscle bound. So, so I'm right. kind of like kind of fluffy. A little There's bit. a little bit of padding yeah, to really yeah. nestle in. Yeah. It's like a, I mean, like a big, like a big teddy bear, you know, for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some things that you think people should know going forward to get the most out of the conversation? Some fun facts, some. Uh, I am a, uh. Pretty much uh, at this point right now, I'm a world traveler. I've been all over the place. Um, been to nine different countries. Lived in 15 different states. Dang. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's surprising. I think about it like, yeah, I've lived in, lived in 15 different and ha- states. And you're 30? 31. 31 now. Dang. Yeah. Just had a, my birthday December 4th. Uh, I, and then something notable, I share that same birthday with Jay-Z, actually. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something I found out a few years ago. <laughs> Me and Jay-Z say the same, same birthday, so shout out to Ho. <laughs> oh, man. Do you listen to Beyonce or Jay-Z? Uh, not really. Um, he had an album that came out, um, I think it was like 314 a few years ago, and something that uh, Apple Music was like publishing or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I listened to that pretty good. Um, as far as Beyonce, uh, not really. Not going to lie. Yeah, she's not good. It's, it's 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 honestly like she had some good good like she had some good hits things like that but I I really just can't get down with it a lot mm-hmm. not my cup of tea yeah, yeah. me either Mm-mm. um so to get back on track where did you grow up I grew up in Dover Delaware yeah. really yeah okay yeah originally from Dover Delaware um I was actually just out there this past weekend well in Newark Delaware uh for my older sister's wedding yeah she uh she lives in New York. Um, her and her husband got married um, this weekend. Honestly, great wedding. 
love love the whole experience. Got to see some family I hadn't seen in a few years. Um, hadn't seen my mom in two years. Hadn't seen my father in four. So, yeah, pretty <laughs> different. When I met you, you said you were from Mississippi. So I, I tell most people like I'm from Mississippi because like that's that's where I grew up a lot. Um, most of my childhood was spent spent out there, you know. But like when people ask me like where I'm from, like I I'll claim Dover, Delaware because I'm like random randomest state ever that you could think of. You're like who's in Delaware? What's mm-hmm. what's that? I'm like it's the first state. You know, and that's it, you know, um, but like m- most of my like adolescent years, like the stuff that I can remember for sure is Mississippi. Gotcha. Yeah. So how many siblings do you have? I have an older sister and I have a younger brother. Ah, so middle child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you the stereotypical middle? No, not at all. Most people would think that, right? Like the, the middle kid's mm-hmm. like always the one that's always in the trouble and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not. I mean, now I have my fair share of, of trouble. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm a fair share of trouble, um, but uh, finally slowly started to come into the person that I am, so got away from the trouble. That's good. Yeah. So you said that your parents raised you to be a super critical thinker. hmm So can you define this a little bit more? Uh, critical thinking more uh, outside the box. Um, don't look at anything at face value. Um, try to think of a different way to think about it, um, whatever it is you're looking at, or to solve a problem, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to ask my parents like for the answers a lot and they had to start like, you know, basically telling me like, okay, one of these days we're not going to be around, uh, for you to ask or neither is anybody else. So you gotta, you gotta figure it out. Um, and some of the things I've learned over the years is like, that might not be the way everyone else would probably go about doing that. Um, but honestly it ends up working out for me just, you know, most of the time. So did they do that with both of your siblings or mostly you? Cause you were asking so many questions. I think they mostly did that with me. And was it because they were like, will he please shut up and leave us alone? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think that's mostly what it came down to. Because now I'm the kid who uh, I don't call a lot. And it's not because I don't like love my parents or my family. It's like I'm the one who can go off to another country and be by themselves for months at end and not have a problem. My sister, on the other hand, is like, he has to call my mom, stuff like that, for almost everything. My little brother, I need this, I need that. And I'm the one who's like, who needed everything at a young age mm-hmm. that now I'm very... Very independent. Very independent. You're a Christian. Mm-hmm. So how confident are you that Christianity is the right religion to be in? Or maybe it's the, just the one you grew up in. It's the major one in our country. Like, What makes you confident about Christianity? I like that question. Um, for me, honestly, it's, it's faith. It's, it's, it's faith-based as much as I can tell you. Um, and for me, my walk with God is not like anybody else's, nor should it be. Um, how I walk with him and how I know him is how I know him, you know. And that's the best answer I could give, honestly. Um, for myself, personally speaking, the things that I have done in the, in the places that I have gone in my life and uh, the things that I have seen and gone through, um, there's no way other than but God and, and the faith of Christianity, or I wouldn't even say the faith of Christianity, but my faith alone in God, that there's a higher power. Um, to answer your question about, like, is Christianity, like, the best one? I don't know. Mm. I, have, I have no way to be able to say that that's the best or the greatest or that this is right or wrong. Um, I know that I have, a, I have a belief in the faith in God. And honestly, I leave it at that. What is it that draws you to God? So, for the longest time, I used to, I grew up in the church. My father's a pastor. Um. I was a rebel through and through. <laughs> I, I was a hellraiser for sure. Um, 
And for me, I was trying to do everything my way. And eventually, I, I remember my father always telling me, like, you know, when are you going to get out of your own way? Um, and when I finally did, and I stopped doing things my way, and I was like, okay, fine, God, I'll, I'll do it the way you're telling me to. Uh, and started, started leaning on that, door started opening for me. And once for me, when, when I got into that position, the door started opening because the power that I was using, there was no way I was going to turn away from it at all. You know, because what I was doing wasn't working. It wasn't giving me the outcome of the results that I wanted at all. And the moment that I said, okay, I'll give it to you. What, what do I got to do? I, I'll give it to you everything. You know, I know I might fall short. I might fail a couple times, but uh, I'll give it to you in the end. And he has given me 10 times over. So how old were you when this happened? I would probably say I'm about, uh, I'd probably say about 21. Oh, okay. Yeah. So growing up a pastor's kid, there's lo- usually lots of pressures about how the kids behave because it reflects on the dad and that kind of stuff. Did that bother you? A little bit. Um, you know, we get the stigma of being the uh, son of a pastor. You kind of kind of dive in that realm where it's like, hey, this is how you're supposed to be. Um, see, when, I, we grew up, when we grew up in Delaware, things were a lot different. Uh, my father wasn't deeply rooted into the church. His, uh, his father, my grandfather, kind of got him more into that when my, my folks split. Um, he didn't really become a pastor until I was maybe about 16, 17. At this point now, because the uh, divorce, I would say, uh, most of my years of me kind of coming into a teenage, teenage man and a boy and things like that, I kind of did that by myself. When I was back around him later on as, you know, 18, 19-year-old uh, Adam, things were a lot different. Um, he was very rooted into the church. Uh, this is how kind of how things are supposed to be. And I'm like, you know, I had this few years where I mean, he wasn't around in the home for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that he wasn't present. He just wasn't physically present. Um, so it became a kind of an uphill battle, you know, father and son kind of deal. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it tested him. It tested myself. Um, so things kind of. They, they end up work. It's like they work themselves out, obviously, because me and him have a great relationship now. Sure. Yeah. So, how did your parents splitting um, really affect you? And you said you were sixteen. Uh, no, I was eleven actually at that time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um. So they split when I was eleven. Um. For it to affect me, honestly, I don't think anybody really understood the gravity of how that kind of stuff affects a, a young man. Um. At any point in time. Um. And for me, as just a a young African American man. Um, young guy myself at that time, like, oh, man, I needed a father in the home. And I, I was honestly had a, having a discussion with somebody else about that this morning, um, talking to one of my friends who's a single mom. And I said, you know, like your son's dad needs to be in his life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, and honestly, personally for me, it's just like, there are things that um, I believe that there's a man's job to be able to teach his son. You know, he, there's things he needs to teach him to, you know, to teach him how to be a man. You know, it's not to say that I don't think uh, women don't do a great job of you know being single moms. Yeah. But there's certain things that when it comes to a father to a son, like he has to be able to yeah. teach his, his son. Yeah. Like what? Um, honestly, it came to came to me about the little things that I learned about how to treat women and stuff like that. That stuff came off of movies. <laughs> Which is not a good place to learn. No, it's not. Honestly, it really isn't. Uh, a lot of the stuff came from movies. Uh, now, I watch the romantic comedies and stuff like that. Not not to say that the level of uh, men that I was watching in these movies were, were bad, but, you know, when you watch them later on now as an, as an adult, you're like, oh, man, that's probably not the, the best way to go about that. Little things like, um, you know, walking a woman down the street and you're going to be on the outside, you know, where the cars are and she's on the inside. I learned that in the movie. I didn't, I didn't pick that up from my dad. You know, uh, now maybe did I see that as a kid? I can't remember. 
but I know I saw that kind of things in movies, opening the doors for women and things like that. I mean, you grew up in the church, so yes, ma'am, yes, sir, those kind of things like manners. Um, but that's that was normal stuff. But as far as like going on dates, um, how to treat them, how to interact with women and things like that, I did not know any of that kind of stuff. That stuff didn't come about. Um, and the the people who I was idolizing or at least looking at outside in life were like Jay Z. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, but just like people, I mean, yeah, but people like that in general were definitely not the ones that I was looking at. Um, definitely not the people that I wanted to uh, idolize or emulate for sure. That's fair. Let's see. So after high school, when did you get into your professional football in Germany? Oh, that's a long story. Okay. But I'll make it short. Um, so uh, after high school, um, I ended up going to uh, a junior college in Arizona. Um, Played there for a few games, just kind of didn't fit in. Uh, left to go to California, didn't really work out there either. Left to go to Mississippi, where my dad is, didn't work out there either because <laughs> me and him got into it. Fell into a wrong crowd of people, came back to Arizona, tried to figure my life out again. And like, you know, I'm saying, like, I'm bouncing back and forth um, from 18 to 22. I uh, finally finished my last stop in California again when my, mo- my mother moves out there go to another junior college, play a little football out there. I go to a school in um, Georgia called Valdosta State. Loved it. The Lord knew this wasn't the place for me. <laughs> On my recruiting trip, um, loved the guys everywhere we were at. Um, the party that we were at did get shot up, and we got held up at gunpoint. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On my, like the first night of my recruiting trip. That This is a, like, wow. this is a true story. Uh, I can't name any of the people who were involved. Like, nobody got in trouble, but I just you know, I don't want to name drop. Um, so that did happen. Uh, a lot of the guys on the recruiting trip were like, hey, man, we, they, were, they were surprised that I was even going to still wanted to come to school. But I'm like, yeah, man, this is the, this is the place for me. What am I thinking? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm there for three months um, going after the summer. Um, you know, and like, I'm like, I love this place. I love this place. I love this place. God's like, this isn't the place for you to be. And he, and he figured a way for me to get out of there, even though I didn't need to. Um, so basically three weeks until camp starts in fall, in August, um, for us to go for the season. The NCAA comes in and tells me and 10 other players that we are NCAA ineligible. Just like that. Like, no way. Um, you know, because when you transfer into universities, you're supposed to have a certain amount of credits. Mm-hmm. I had 60, and apparently 11 of them were not active. <sighs> yep, so I was short by 11. 49 uh, transferred in. The other, the other 11 didn't. So I'm short. Um, had to sit out that season, which would have been my would have been my junior year, 2015 season. At that point, I was 26, so I'm already pretty old. Okay, playing yeah. trying to play college football. 26. I'm like, okay, had to sit out that year. Go back to Mississippi. Go to a junior college down there. Uh, one of my best friends who I played junior college ball with in California. He was like, hey man, I can get you out here to Idaho. <laughs> What's in Idaho? <laughs> come take my trip out here to come visit. Come to Caldwell of all places, and not mind you, this is 2015. All right, there's not really much coming from Boise to call to Caldwell. So it was a it was a rough drive from the airport. Come to the first game, see what see what happens. I like the guys I was with. Honestly, at this point, I didn't care, and because I knew how old I was, I was like, okay, this is my last stop. I have nowhere else to go. Stay there for two years. Uh, didn't really have the season and career that I wanted to as as a college football player at C of I. Doesn't matter. End up going to a bowl game. Um, for uh, basically like guys who after like senior year, basically it's like an all-star game. You know, they have mm-hmm. high school as mm-hmm. well. Um, played in one of those, did really well. Talked to a couple of NFL, CFL scouts. Um, we try to figure out me going out to Canada, 
couldn't do that because I was getting ready for graduation and and all the uh the places they want you to come try out at are in Florida, Georgia, all these other places that are far away from Idaho, obviously. Yeah. So couldn't do that. Sat out the year, end up working, um, and I ended up getting a call from this team in Germany. And I'm like, um, you know, I speak to the guy speaking mostly German, broken, <laughs> broken English. Tells me, you want to play football? That's all I heard. Yes. Okay. Four months later, I'm on a plane one way out to Germany. And like, honestly, like that's how it happened. So a couple more questions before we get to there. So all this moving around from college to college, was your college um, an excuse to play football or were you trying to get a degree? It was all about football. At the yeah. Time. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's what I mean. Like, um, like, when am I going to get out of my own way? Because uh, eventually for me, it was it was all about the ball. Didn't know who I was without it. Um, and like, even for the times that I was spending back and forth going from place to place, um, and not in the times that I wasn't playing. I mean, cause like if it, if it was, if I was super serious about playing ball, I would have stuck it out at some of the places that I had stayed at, um, and made it work out. Um, the Valdosta state thing, obviously that's not my, my own volition. Like I, I would, I wanted to stay, mm -hmm. uh, but God knew that wasn't the place for me to be at. And he got me out of there. Um, but when it came down to going to C of I, um, I mean, I had nowhere else to go, period. So I had to stay. Um, and it wasn't the best experience, but I, I stuck it out uh, and I didn't quit, even though those are no, the normal things that I used to do as a, as a younger guy, I would quit on things. Um, but it was definitely about the ball. It wasn't, it wasn't anything about the, uh, the degree at all. I knew that for sure. What's your degree in? History and speech rhetoric. How interesting. Yes. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So what about... What about history draws you in and also speech rhetoric? Well, obviously, if it sounds like people don't know already, like I'm really well at talking. I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not to hear my own voice, but uh, I, I genuinely like to speak and, and have converse, uh, conversations with people. Um, when it came to history, I loved history. Um, it was fascinating to realize the things that people did, you know, uh, centuries ago um, and the historical uh, events that took place that depict what we live on now. Um, if certain battles didn't happen for certain countries, what would the world be right now? Like literally um, in history repeats itself uh, at every single time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we can talk about the things that happen now. You're like, okay, that happened already in yep. history. And it's just repeating itself over and over again. Yeah. I love it. Is there any particular era that you're into? I was super into uh, the Mongol empire. Yeah. Genghis okay. Khan, Kublai, Kublai Khan, his uh, his descendants. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are descendants of like Genghis a third Khan. of the word. Yes, third of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's crazy that people don't realize that. Um, when most people would look at their uh, ancestral backgrounds, like how did you get this little small percentage of uh, Asianic in you? Straight up from Genghis Khan. <laughs> <laughs> like, like his his genes are vast throughout the world, especially uh, obviously especially in Asia in in Europe. You know, so yeah. It's crazy. So. My brother, um, have you heard of Dan Carlin? I don't believe I have. He does a podcast called Hardcore History, where each episode is minimum of three hours long. They oh. are serious. He, it really is an audio book, but okay. he puts it out in podcast form. My brother has been listening to his series on Genghis Khan. Okay. And he's just been telling me the grossest parts about it. Yeah. Or the most impressive. And one of the things is, so they were amazing archers. They, their bows... We're 150 pound pole. Mm -hmm. Modern bow hunters, like a hard one is Bus. 90. Yeah, I was, was going to say 70 like, or 90. That's hardcore. Mm -hmm. They 
could be galloping on a horse and they could shoot birds out of the air with a 150-pound pole. Yep. Yeah. And they, they had timed it so that they would shoot when all of the horse's feet were off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, so most people didn't realize, like, hey, you know what a tarbigan is? No. Okay. A tarbigan is basically like a small little... It's not a weasel. It's more like a, it's kind of like a, it's a rodent type of, like okay. a, not a ferret. That's still like a weasel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say similar to like a muskrat, something like that. Okay. Well, what was happening during the time uh, of like the bubonic plague, okay, where these tarbigans were being like taken as, uh, you know, like people were using them as meat, pelts, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not the tarbigan itself that was causing the disease. It was the flea that was attached to the tarbigan. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, through the Silk Road and all the people trading and stuff like that, there's just the spread of the Black Plague. And no one knew it, that it's the, it's the, the tarbigan that they were eating and consuming and trying to use as pelt and selling off that was causing them, you know, to have all these sicknesses and, and the disease. I mean, obviously, it's the flea, but the tarbigan itself was the carrier. Right. Flea. Yeah. Man, that's so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, back to football in Germany. Yeah. What position did you play? I uh, played outside linebacker. Um, I kind of know football, but I still don't totally know what that means. No problem. Uh, Chrissy asked me the same thing, and I basically had to explain it to her in a, in a, in a pretty easy way. Um, my position on defense is basically stopping the guys that have the ball on offense from scoring. That's it. That's it. That's it. What was your team called? The Remscheid Ambos. Ambos. What does that mean? Uh, it means steel. Oh, that's kind of fun. It's, or like, excuse me, uh, anvil, basically. Oh, that kind of steel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. How did the the skill compare to American college and NFL? Mm-hmm. I, honestly, not going to lie. Some of those dudes are pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was surprised, taken back. You know, because when you go out there, it's like, it's like if you played, uh, if you played AAU basketball, you play probably some pretty dominating talent. So when you get to the high school level or whatever you go to afterwards, you're like, okay, this is pretty easy. So you start to take, take it not as serious. I remember one of the games we definitely played, and uh, I didn't realize this kid, the guy I was going against, was pretty good. Uh, and probably the second play of the game, like he came after me on one of the plays, not in a, in a malicious way, but he, he, you know, he was just being pretty physical, and I, I, I really had to bring it. You know, the third play. And honestly, it was like that the whole game, and it wasn't easy. And I think that was probably my one of my worst games statistically that we played. Uh, and it, and he was like that from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. And we, we and him talked at the end because he, he spoke really good English. And I had to tell him I was like, "Hey, man, I was thoroughly impressed with you." Because I realized that the couple kind of guys that I had played against over the years, for sure. Obviously, all, all the traveling and football I had done, I've played against some pretty serious talent. Um, but going against him, I was like, "This dude can play." You know, um, and I asked him how many years he'd been playing. He's like, I've only been playing for two years and he was 24, you know? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like phenomenal. What's the average amount of tackles you'd get in a game? Uh, for me as a defensive lineman, the average amount probably would be anywhere from three to four. And that's a, that's a, actually a really good, uh, good game. Yeah, if you get any more than three to four, I mean, you're, you're having a phenomenal game. I can, can I can't lie about that. Um, cause it, NFL seasons are 16, 16 game seasons. Um, and then now they have 17 games. So, I mean, you say four, four times, you know, 16, you know, do the math on that. I'm not a great person. math. That's, that's why I got a degree in history and speech writer. <laughs> um, but I think that would be 64. 64. Perfect. Yeah. Look at that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you said as a defensive lineman, you got 64 tackles on a season. That's pretty good. Like really, really good. 
Um, what I did when I was in Germany is I finished with 60 tackles in 12 games and five and a half sacks. Honestly, uh, when it comes to playing defensive line, sacks are better. How do you have a half a sack? Half a sack is when I tackle with, if basically, if uh, you and Jordan were both trying to tackle me, uh, you both got there, so you split the sack. I understand. Uh, so that's why they put that little point five. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So what, what's the locker room atmosphere of this team? The team in Germany, uh, those dudes like to drink. The Germans like to drink in general. <laughs> um, one of the games afterwards, uh, we hadn't even taken our pads off. And those dudes were already smoking cigarettes and, and drinking beer. Like, wow. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, for them, it's uh, as the American, I got paid uh, to go out there, obviously. But for them, it's, it's fun. You know, they're just there to just, you know, to hang out and enjoy the guys and stuff like that. So it's more fun for them. And I totally understand. And uh, obviously, as the levels go up to when, uh, how you play, more people take it more serious. Because um, some of those guys can are trying to make it to the NFL, things like that, or make it to Canada, depending on the level of talent. Um, but the team was fun. I enjoyed them. I still speak to a lot of those guys. Uh, even now, they'll call me from time to time and we'll just we'll just FaceTime and, and chat and whatnot and just catch up. You know, so they're always like, hey, I want to come out to visit. When are you coming back to Germany? I'm like, Man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so how much of German did you have to learn to make the team work? Uh, a little bit. So I understand. Means a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I understand. And just like play football related words. Do you have to learn normal speaking oh, no. words? Um, so when it came to football, everybody spoke English. <laughs> Really? Everybody. Uh, when it came out to the field, everybody spoke English. The, the coaches, the players, the referees, everybody. At certain points, I was the person who was trying to speak German the most <laughs> to the other guys. And they were like, no, it's okay. You can... Please stop. <laughs> yeah, You're butchering it. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they were just like, no, just speak English. And I was like, okay. All right. So that was fine. And everybody understood what I was saying as it was anyway. So just sure. Yeah. So how long did you do that? I was up there for a year and a half. Yeah. And and you came back to Idaho. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came back. Uh, I flew in first to, to see my mom in L.A. Um, L.A. is not the place for me to be at. Just I'm not a California guy. Mm-hmm. I like to. It's nice to visit, but not to not to live. Sure. Are there any standout stories from your time in Germany worth sharing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to Auschwitz, but that's not oh. in, that's not in Germany. That's in Poland. Um, so the team paid for me to go travel, so I got to go do that. Uh, great experience. Um, Auschwitz was, I couldn't tell you how, how it was. Cause it's a, it's a feeling kind of thing for sure. Um, I definitely remember being there and like, you could take photos if you wanted to, they kind of, they pretty much asked you if, if you would uh, not do so, hmm. um, just out of respect. Interesting. You know, um, but I got the full tour, full feel, got to take the train and made it feel like you were, uh, one of the, one of the Jewish people on that train getting off. Letting those doors, those, those big gates close behind you. It's crazy. Um, probably getting into the the chamber where the gas was, like the gas chamber, and watching, like, it, not even watching, just seeing, like, fingernail marks in the wall still. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, just like that. Um, and basically, people, like, you're with, like, you know, like, that place was evil. Like, pure evil. Like, you could feel it. And other people could feel it as well. Like, I mean, we're talking about a presence that's, like, fully known. That's so interesting. So I wonder if you took somebody who had never heard of what had happened there mm-hmm. and dropped them in, if they would get that vibe. 
that's a good question because even even still to this day, we're talking about twenty twenty one. That there's still people saying that that the Holocaust never happened. Sure. Yeah. Um. So throughout the throughout the nation, there are like small little golden bricks throughout everywhere, north, south, east, and west. Okay? In Germany. In Germany. Yeah. Okay, and they commemorate the names of the people who used to live in those buildings where those bricks are, because uh, obviously during the war. Um, you know, a lot of people who were Jewish, they got their businesses, their homes, whatever it may be taken away from them by the Nazi regime. Um, and basically the government of Germany later on after the war to you know, reconcile everything, they basically started putting bricks around and to commemorate, commemorate and, uh, you know, uh, mem- to be able to have some memory of the people who used to live there. Um, it's pretty, pretty fascinating actually. But as a, as a whole, it is actually illegal in the nation to, uh, to say that the Holocaust didn't happen. Like in mm-hmm. their country, it's like, there's no, there's no way, you know, if you were to deny that, like it's ba- not illegal in the sense that something would happen to you, like court, but like people would frown upon that highly. Yeah. If you were to say that that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there still lots of shame? Yes. Yeah. Yes, there is. And that was really felt um, because when I was there, they had this like little Nazi rally and they allowed them to do this because mm-hmm. they, they, they're still like a democratic nation uh, where they are a democratic nation, excuse me. Um, and they allow them to be able to have a little march and things like that, but that's fine. But the police come out to be able to, uh, you know, stop protesters against them. So there's people <laughs> yeah. who come out in the street and throw eggs and cabbage and stuff like that at these guys, you know, you know, still, you know, rocking the, the Nazi flag, you know, cause like, they're like, they're scum of the earth. Like they, they look super down on them, like really bad. Yeah. You know, um, I've, I've been told by a couple of guys like their grandfathers when they got home and stuff like that in their uniforms like i don't want any part of that you know there's i mean for the people who felt that way about that stayed in the country for the people who felt shame because they knew they did things wrong they moved out of the country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i wonder when when it will go away like you you don't want to forget but i still feel bad if you if you hear someone's german like you don't want to be like Ooh, are you a Nazi? Like, when can you just let Germ- Germans be human again? I mean, well, I guess that would be the thing. Like, um, unfortunately, because it's only been 1941, right? Yeah. So we're we're talking 60, 60 years. That's that's a that's some people's lifetime. Yeah. Uh, for me, that's thirty one years. Thirty thirty years ago, for me at this point, you know. So it's not that not that long away. Yeah. You know, um, and to say to let go of it, it's hard because like, obviously, yeah, you hear some, oh, oh, you're German. And the first thing you go to is Nazis. Yep. Like, and, and that sucks because like, that wasn't us as, uh, Americans or anything like that. Like that was you as a German nation. Like your people did that. Unfortunately, that's the stigma that you guys had to live with for a little bit. And it's kind of hard. I can, and I, and I can't fathom that, you know, that must be tough because you're like, oh, I'm from, I'm from Germany. Oh, is anybody in your family a Nazi? Cause it's like. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, there's a really good chance. There's a good chance. Like, I mean, like, and his percentages are pretty high. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, to say when it will go away or if it does, that's ah, it's tough. That's mm. tough. Yeah. Is it worth going? Yes. Yes, it is. Hands down. Um, the, the trip itself was incredible. Um, just checking the, checking the train up there to go to Poland and whatnot to just you know, go see the part of that country. Um, it was really cool. Um, and I went, we went in the summertime, so it was was even better, but uh, I could not take anything away from that other than like how incredible it was to be there. What is it that is exciting? I feel like if I went, I would be tied between it's, it's very 
I get very excited to be in historically significant places. Yeah. But it's so inappropriate to be excited about being in a place like that. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the historian in me was fascinated. Yeah. Okay. Because this is a place that I, I wanted to go to and wanted to travel. Um, and being able to be out there to do that. Like I remember talking to my coaching staff. I'm like, hey, when we get a chance to, you know, have a break or whenever we're like, we're, we're off, off of football for a little bit, I want to go to Auschwitz. Like, they're like, I want to go to Poland. And they're like, really? Like, figure you want to go anywhere else, like London or something like for a vacation, anything else. I'm like, I want, I want to go to Auschwitz. I want to go see some history. And I toured a, a lot of museums that they had around there uh, in Germany. So, you know, when it came to going to Poland, I mean, like, nothing I can say will describe the feeling that it felt to actually be in that place. You know, because it's one of those things, like, I could, I could take a picture and, like, show you this is what it was. But for me to be able to share my story and tell somebody else that you need to go and feel it for yourself, that's the only thing I can do. Yeah. Yeah. So you're back in Idaho. Mm-hmm. So what brought you back here specifically? So uh, I had an ex-girlfriend. Uh, basically came back for her. Mm. I, had no, I had no other plan for mm. that. It was, it was about her. Mm. Mm-hmm. So then what did you do for a job? When I came back, I was working for a trucking company. Um, we, we, did, we delivered furniture, all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you have to go through rebuilding an identity after football was over? Uh, not necessarily. Um, for me, what happened was my father had always instilled in me that, you know, you're, you're a guy who's, you know, with the, has the ability to be able to play football, but a football player does not d- define you. And it took me a while for, for that lesson and that, uh, you know, that quote to be able to sink in. And when it finally did, when football was done, I could, I could hang it up. You know, there's people who ask me right now, even now, like, hey, man, can you come out and play for, you know, some of the leagues out here? I'm like, ah, I think about it. I'm just like, it'd be fun, you know, but never to the point where I'm like, I, I have to play football. I have to work out for that. Like, even when football was done, all my workouts changed. I just wanted to drop weight so fast because, like, I don't want to be this big guy anymore, hmm. you know? Um, Wait, so, so you were bigger? Oh, I used to be like 300 pounds. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so I, showed, I showed Chris the photos. Like, yeah, I was, I was pretty ginormous. Like, yeah, I was like a guy who would have to, like, stand sideways when I walk, walk through doors. It was that bad. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like it would be a lot of stress on the knees. A lot of stress on the knees, a lot of stress on the heart, lower back, always. Um, when I finally started to drop the weight, like, oh, I felt so much better. Yeah. <laughs> Body felt better. Um, just, you know, everything, like, I mean, I, honestly, it got to the point where I was like, okay, I, I, this is how I wanted to start looking in clothes, you know, like I want to wear this kind of outfit, but I can't wear it because I'm so big, you know, like this, this, like this outfit doesn't look good on a guy who's 300 pounds. No, it doesn't, but it looks good on a guy who's 240 pounds. Right. Yeah. 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 And I assume that a lot of this was some fat covering up the, the muscle. Oh no. I no. Was, I was, it was it that muscly. Yeah. Maybe you should show me some pictures. Yeah. 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 Um, it, like it was quite surprising because some people like didn't realize like I was as big as I was, um, until you like you get around me and you're like, oh, okay, he's so he's actually a pretty big guy. How long did you play? I was there out there for a year and a half. Uh, loved it. It was a great experience. I mean, like like I said, like it's one of those things like I I would never want to take it back because I enjoyed it so much, you know. Uh, and I'm for me, it was like okay. I didn't get to make it to the NFL, didn't get to make, the, make it to CFL, but I got to make it to the heights that I got to achieve. Because for a lot of guys, it was like, hey, you don't, you don't make it after high school, you know, to even go to college. For the guys who made it to college, okay, what's after that? A lot of guys don't have anything after that. Mm-hmm. You know, for me to even go to Germany, like, I'll, 
I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. When I look at professional defensive, no, that's wrong. Offensive. The defensive line is generally a little bit thinner. When I look at the offensive line, I'm like, if I saw you at the store, I think I could tell that you were strong, but I mostly would think you were lazy and yeah. a couch potato. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, why Why are you called a professional athlete at, in that state? So it's it's crazy to think, right? Like, you're like, okay, so you would assume that a guy who's 300 pounds is lazy and, and out of shape and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But when you see that 300-pound guy move another 300-pound guy around and throw him like a ragdoll, you can't really say that he's out of, sh- <laughs> out of shape, you know, because yeah. it's that, – that gets tough. Um, and then – when you see a guy who's uh, not 300 pounds, maybe he's 250, go against the guy who's 300. And you're like, well, how did he do that to that guy? And, and, it, and, it's, and it's hard because, like, when it comes – football is one of those things, like, you could be really good as, like, your speed, your, your strength and all that. But if you don't have any technique – I mean, I've, obviously, you could probably equate that to basketball as well. Like, you're a really good defender, but you're terrible at shots. Oh my. Yeah. Okay, so that's a beast. Yeah, I'm probably about 305 at that point. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Dang. Well, I have been proven wrong. <laughs> 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 but now you do personal training, mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been a great gig. Uh, I was always into physical fitness, even when, even when I was in high school, uh, college. Uh, the, the strength and conditioning coaches that I was always around, I, I always wanted to pick their brains about how do I improve on a lift. Um, when it came to the part after football was over, I was like, okay, well, I got to dial this in for myself, take all the combination of the knowledge that I've learned over the years and apply it, apply it to me. Um, I had done all these football lifts and everything else like that. And I was like, okay, that was all about getting big. How do I transition from that to dropping weight? And I had nowhere to, st- I had no idea where to start. Uh, and then I just started reading books picking up different literature, uh, different material, talking to different people. I, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to ask anybody any questions. Like, like, Hey, I don't know this. Like, they're like, well, you played football. <sighs> I don't know anything. Not when it comes to the physical, physical element of like being a lifter. Um, and then dieting and all that kind of stuff, talking to a nutritionist and, and whatnot. Like, okay. I'm like, all right, so where do I start? Um, and you know, people gave me information and then I was just like, okay, I just soaked it up. And then when I started putting it in, into, and to be able to apply it to myself and, and transforming my body, I'm like, okay, I think I really like this. How do I, how do I turn this into a profession? Um, and then it just slowly just took off from there. And then when I finally got my certification, I realized like, okay, now that you're, now that you're fully certified, people want to work with you more. You know, they wanted to work with me beforehand um, just because of, the, of, of how I look physically. Sure. Um, but when I got that certification, it was like, hey, I really want to work with you now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you really like helping people? Um, when it comes to, when it comes to personal training, I, I honestly do. I'm not going to say I, I like helping people a lot, but when it comes to physical training, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely for sure. What is it? Is it the seeing them get that first pull up or whatever, or is it seeing the slow body transformation that they're looking for? Um, so it's, it's always different for me. I love the enthusiasm that I can bring to somebody else to give them the confidence that they can come and do this on their own. Um, for me, I've always, I tell all my clients like, Hey, I don't want to be your trainer forever. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, I want to give you the building blocks so that you can go be successful by yourself. So you eventually don't have to need me anymore. Like, let me give you as much of my knowledge that I can give, especially correctly. 
so that way in however many however long it takes a, a year to you know six months six months to a year and you're like hey i think i'm i've got enough repertoire that i can go do this by myself perfect that's what i want you know i don't want to i don't want you to be you know i don't want to be your trainer for 10 for 10 years right if that's if, if i'm your trainer for 10 years we're friends okay yeah, yeah at yeah. that point how many cur- uh clients do you have right now i have 18 right now is that a full-time job uh almost um so i i basically still work the front desk at uh the gym that i work at in eagle uh, it's called eagle fitness uh my owner brandy she's uh basically helped me out since i've been working there for her almost to almost two years now um and i started at the front desk just wanted to just wanted to get my foot in the door of running a gym uh operating and having to you know go about that process um and basically she's she has honestly just helped me slowly but surely get into training. Uh, she's brought me clients, helped me to get more clients, given me advertising, uh, been a great mentor and just a great teacher. Um, one, th- like, I'm good at the training part, but the aspect of actually running and operating a gym in the business side of things is something that I did not have. Um, so I had to get into that, um, be able to work with somebody who would be able to help me out. And she does, like she helps me look over her books. So I, I so when I had to when I excuse me, when I want to run my own gym, I know how to do all those kind of things. Take take payroll, all the inventory, all that kind of stuff. What you need for the gym, what you you know, how are people going to ask you certain questions about how it goes through? Like, and right now we're dealing in the situation of the pandemic. So I mean, she's on top of that. Like, she kept her business afloat. Yeah. 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 What is the number one thing that you want people to know about fitness and strength and stuff? Um, I would tell most people that. If you look at somebody else and you're desiring to have the same thing that they have, stop doing that. Okay. okay. Go and be the best self that you can be. Honestly, like don't look at somebody else and say that you wish that you could have their body type because you have your body type. And uh, I think the misconception is that someone's going to, someone looks at another, another person's physique, especially in the social media aspect. You see somebody else and you're like, okay, I want to have, that guy's six pack. I want to have that girl's legs, whatever it may be. And you don't know that person's body type. You don't know the, the work that that person put in. You don't know if that person's taking any substances, <laughs> anything. You don't know any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't know if it's surgically enhanced, whatever. Or just Photoshop or Photoshop, whatever filters. it came me. I mean, and, and that's a lot, right? Yeah. So you're, you're over here looking at an expectation for somebody else and you know, you're like, okay, I, I want, what, want what they have. Okay. And the other part about that is if you want what they have, are you willing to put the work in for it? Mm-hmm. And that's the toughest part. You know, like it, it takes some work. What's the ratio of gym work to food eating or slash not eating work? 20% is definitely uh, in the gym and 80% is the food. That's insane. So over the past year, last March at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, something's got to change. I'd gained 15 pounds since really? I'd gotten married. Okay. Which I was really light when I got married, partly because I was scared out of my mind, so I'd quit eating for Stress. a while. <laughs> yeah, Stress to get a new dress? I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, last year I was like, "This, this isn't a thing anymore." Like, I'm starting to look lumpy in the clothes. Gotcha. <laughs> Things yeah. gotta, gotta move yeah. in the wrong direction. So, um, I started with a just like 1,200 calorie diet. Okay. I had no idea what I was eating before. I mm-hmm. was basically just eating whatever in the world I wanted. Okay. And it worked pretty good. I lost a lot of weight. And then I wanted to start exercising. So then it's been a year and I'm almost 
back to the same weight that I started, except now that I have muscles mm -hmm. and you can see the muscles yeah. and I have a two pack. I, how are you feeling about that? I am excited. Good. Yeah. I Good. think in a couple more weeks, I started keto last week. Okay. I think in a couple more weeks, I might have a four pack. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, it goes, it goes right back to uh body type stuff, right? Um, you got to find out what body type you're at. Got to find out which one that you think you are. Um, I've told clients, hey, go check your blood work. Go get that done. Go get a panel done, you know, um, and find out what you can digest. There are some people who um, go into the realms of digestion uh, and nutrition where you're like, okay, they find out your body type. They find out your blood type because some blood can digest foods a little better than others. Some people believe in, some people don't. Um, some people believe in body types. Some people don't. Honestly, the body type thing is real for sure. You can, look, <laughs> you can just look at it at other people and be like, hey. You're an ectomorph, you're an endomorph, you're a mesomorph, and I can tell why. Yeah. You know, um, for me, I did keto about this time last year, dropped, uh, I went from probably about 260 to about 230 in like two and a half months. Loved it, was super lean. I mean, I had almost an eight pack. Dang. Loved, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, like I was lean, lean. Now, the only thing that sucked was uh, my lifts were terrible. Strength was gone. Uh, I mean, I was normally used to benching about maybe about 315 pounds. Um, that's a, that's a lot for some people, but that's like, honestly, light for me when I, being a guy who used to be 300, I mean, you saw the yeah, photo. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that lift from 315 went down to like maybe 225. Oh, dang. Yeah. Like a, dra <laughs> a drastic drop. I look great. Clothes fit phenomenal. Anything that, I mean, like they tell you, they tell guys like, when you get down to a certain body type and you get down, to, you start cutting that weight pretty light, you can put on a regular basic t-shirt and make it look great. Right. You know, and that's really where I got to. I could, I could wear a, a Hanes t-shirt out the pack and it wasn't in a name brand and I'm looking great. In it. Sure. You know, um, but like I said, when it came to like wanting to lift heavy, I could suffer a lot. So you, it's a, it's a give and take, hmm. you know. Depends what you want. It depends on what you want. And then what is kind of hard about keto is that as soon as you quit, a lot of the weight goes right back on. Carbs. Because it is, if you want to do keto, it really needs to be planning on a lifestyle change, not just drop 10 pounds because it will come back in about four days. Yes, it will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that definitely, that definitely happened to me. Um, I did keto as well. Probably dropped. Yeah. Yeah. Dropped from 260 to 220. Um, and ended up gaining about probably 15 pounds of that back within within a month uh not in a horrible way but just like my body was like okay since you're not on ketosis anymore um and we're like not eating all this fat so all these carbs that you've been neglecting i'll take those mm -hmm. and as a, as an endomorph my body was like thanks no thanks uh and basically <laughs> just sat it sat it on me yeah you know so then i had to go back through my process of changing my lifting and my eating to going back to a little bit more of a, a heavy cardio base which i can't stand cardio do you count your macros or calories or do you just eat um it, it depends on sometimes um i'm not one of those trainers who's trying to be that uh aesthetic guy by any means um and even with my instagram page like i'm not the guy who's like shirtless and all the photos and things like that that's that's not that's not my deal um i'm not trying to i'm not trying to sell a body you know yeah because i mean eventually like for the guys who do that which hey shout out to them for for, for doing that kind of stuff Eventually, if you want to keep that same lifestyle, you're eventually going to be that six year old guy and, you know, going to catch up with you. Yeah. You know, no matter what. So you can't, I'm not, I'm not going to sell that. I, I sell functional training because it's like, hey, this is what you can do for longevity. Eventually, you're going to be 60 and you're going to be able to need to pick something off the ground. How are you going to do it? And functional training is how you do it. Yeah. Um, so 
when it comes to counting macros, I do count them. Um, I just go off my proteins, my fats, my carbs. That's it. Um, calorie wise, if I feel full, I'm done. Like, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm cool. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. if I'm hungry, I'm like, you're not really hungry. Just drink some water. You'll be fine. How many calories do you eat? Uh, About 2,800. That seems like not enough. Most people would say that's not enough. Um, but for me, um, your daily nutritional value is 2000, right? So that's for a regular person not doing anything. I put an extra 800 on, uh, if I'm feeling it, but my body feels full. Yeah, 2,800 calories in a day. So 176 grams of carbohydrates, 281 grams of protein, and 109 grams of fat. Yeah. Give a day. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad at all. Where do you get most of your protein? Uh, Most of my protein is going to be in my chicken, eggs. Uh, I eat bacon, turkey bacon, pork bacon, all that. Um, I have maybe like one vegan protein shake a day. Uh, but most of my stuff really just comes from the food, you know. What do you do with your uh, vegan girlfriend? So I've been, uh, I have been eating some vegan stuff with her. Um, not bad, no big deal to me. Like I'll, I'll change it up. I honestly like had some impossible meat a couple of days ago, and I made her like an impossible like uh, bowl earlier today. Right before I came over here and dropped that off to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fine. It's no, so, so problem. It's like we've talked about this before. It's like okay, so. In order for them to, you know, make the food vegan or whatever, what are they putting in that? Yeah. That's the whole thing. You know, so you're like, okay, unless you're vegan on whole vegetables, okay, and grains and all that kind of stuff, it's tough. And she even said it's tough because she's like, I would, she's like, I would want to gain more weight, but it's a little hard to do that when you're not eating the amount of protein that you would need to eat Mm -hmm. to supplement for all the grains or not grains, all, all the, uh, basically the vegetables she's eating. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would basically have to consume, I don't even know, like how many chia seeds it would have to be to equal, like, uh, yeah. a, like a, like a 10 ounce steak, yeah. you know, or like the, um, what's, what are they, the chickpeas that they make hummus from, you know, that like what she would have, like how many of those she would have to eat to equal one steak. A few tubs. You know, <laughs> and it gets tough. You know, yes. um, but I mean, like, I, I understand where she's coming from. She's like, hey, I had that one time my family on the farm, you know, cooked an animal and I didn't like that. So I'm a vegan now. Okay. Yeah. Um, But we, I, I find places to go with her to go eat. They're, they have vegan options. I always check ahead of time. I'm like, I'm not going to get there. And all of a sudden, like, hey, she can't eat something there and we have to leave. That's awkward. I mean, yeah, no. Heck yeah. no. So, I mean, even on Sunday when she picked me up from the airport, I told her we're going to go to Olive Garden. She didn't know Olive Garden had a vegan option. And I was like, oh, yeah, I already checked it out. Gave her the menu. This is what they have. And she was satisfied. Nice. Especially because you got to eat the breadsticks, too. <laughs> who doesn't want I mean, those breadsticks? Bread sticks, right? You know, so, yeah. It's time for a special announcement. I started a Patreon page. Now, the reasons for the Patreon page are as follows. One, with the shifting sands of the internet algorithms, it will ensure that you will continue to get episodes, whether or not Spotify or Apple continues to host the podcast. Number two... I approach podcasting, both those that I make and those I listen to, for learning, not for entertainment. Any entertainment value is just a bonus. Number three, as my husband and I transition into living on just one income, for me to continue this podcast, it will just, it will need to break even. If half of you gave $1, I wouldn't even have to worry about it anymore. The last and most important reason I wanted to use Patreon rather than ads is twofold. One, For example, 
how inappropriate would it be for me to have the episode I did with my sister, Katie, as she's talking about miscarriages and PTSD, to break in with an ad that goes something like, and now here are some $350 sheets that will make you sleep so good you'll feel like a god. I mean, come on. Second, with where my podcast is right now, I can't get sponsors from companies that are even worth advertising for. Here, let me just read you a couple examples of what's available. There's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, towels, baby monitors, $400 comforters. It would be a waste of everybody's time. Lastly, am I the only one that's so tired of seeing and hearing ads everywhere? Your life is good. You have what you need. Even without this podcast, your life is great. I'm really tired of being told that my life is incomplete because I don't have me undies. I tried to make the page fun, so if you go to www.patreon.com slash curiosity, you'll see I have five tiers. There's general support, there's the aliens exist team or aliens do not exist team, professional podcast tier, and finally, allow me to quit my job tier. For the last two, I thought it would be fun to allow an opportunity for you to submit your own original music to use as my outro. I don't have a ton of ideas for how to give extra perks to my patrons, but I'm open to suggestions. So here it is again. It's patreon.com slash curiosity. That's P-E-A-K-C-U-R-I-O-U-S-I-T-Y. And of course, the link will be in the show notes. Anyway, let's get back to the show. What would be an episode of this podcast if we didn't get into the big issues? Mm-hmm. So, um, I want you to step into the position of speaking for all black people that okay. exist. And I want you to tell me if Trump is racist, okay. if, um, America is racist, okay. if all cops are racist. And I think that'll probably about. Sum us up? Yeah. Okay. If I'm in the position, so basically take the position if I was speaking for everybody. Yeah, that was kind of a joke. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Is Trump racist? Um, so let's, let's let's break down the racism part, right? So um, Webster's Dictionary would define it as being able to dislike somebody over the, over the color of their skin. Okay, that's Webster. Honestly, racism is being in the position of power to adversely affect the life of another person solely based on the color of their skin, race, or religion. You know, and that's how I classified it. Can I physically do something to stop you from whatever it may be? Um, Back in the 60s. Can you give that definition again? Um, which for racism? Yeah. A little slower. You were talking oh, just sorry. fast enough. I was sorry, having sorry trouble computing. Yeah, no um, to be in the position to adversely affect the life of another individual solely based on the color of their skin, race, or religion. You know, so that's how I would definitely, definitely, definitely uh, define a racism. Okay. Uh, back in the 60s, they did this thing called redlining. Mm-hmm. Where banks uh, would not loan out money to African Americans for them to be able to purchase homes after uh, the GI Bill from, um, uh, from oh my God, from the Vietnam War. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what would happen was other families, uh, white families, were coming in and stuff like that. They d- they also did that in uh, after World War Two as well. Okay, and so white families would get these these loans and things like that. Uh, and the banks were, were loaning it out to them, but they weren't loaning it out to the African-Americans. That would be considered racism. 
because um, I am in a position to be able to adversely affect the life of your well-being. Because as we know now, generational wealth, people who have bought homes in the 50s and 60s have, you know, acquired equity and now given that money and stuff like that in the homes over to their kids and grandkids and stuff like that. And it trans transfers to somebody else for them to be able to have something to have some wealth. Uh, a lot of African-American families and minority families don't really get they didn't really get to afford that luxury due to certain things. Obviously, the racism part. So um, back to the racism about Donald Trump. Do I think he's racist? No. Do I think he's prejudiced? Yes. Is are everybody prejudiced? Yes. Prejudice is to prejudge somebody before you know them. That's all it is. It's a prejudgment. Um, I am. I can prejudge you just about on anything. Doesn't matter what it is. Um, I, obviously, as you see my hair right now, I you know have the little braids. Um, if I had my hair out, where it's kind of like long, depending on who I am and where I'm at with somebody because of my size, somebody could judge me, and that would be that would be uh that would be prejudice. Okay, to prejudge. Um. And everybody has that. We, you know, we prejudge on everything. You know, you go to somebody's barbecue, and you're like, "Oh, Kathy's cooking the beans. Mm, I'm not eating those." <laughs> you know, so, yeah. You know, so that's kind of how it goes. Um, for him being a racist, he was the president of the United States, and he was in a position of power to adversely affect the lives of minorities. Did he do so? Not necessarily. Um, some people could say that because of the obviously the camps they have for the Hispanics and stuff like that that are that are happening right now. Obviously, um, so you could. Depending on who you're talking to, you could make that argument. So my understanding of the definition of racist would just be like, I see you walking down the street and I think probably a drug dealer. Like thinking really negative things based on just physical appearance. But that could be for anything, but mm -hmm. that would be generally how I would define it. Like mm -hmm. Definitely the prejudice part, yeah. but basing it on skin color or race. Yeah, well, that, I mean, but it goes back to prejudice because you prejudge. Mm -hmm. You saw something and assumed something. So that would be to, to, to prejudge. Racism is, uh, has, how, how, how I tell most people, it's like, so prejudice would be the speech I'm in, or the thought process. Okay. Racism would be the action of what you put forth through your thought process. Okay. Yeah. Does that make more sense? That makes more sense. Okay. So, um, there's lots of talk of racism being more into more in the realm of oppressor and oppressed, and how if there is a racial group that more that is in positions of power more often than not, and um, the other race is not in power more often than not. Mm. That it would be only the people in power could ever be the racist ones. Uh, so yes, yeah, that's that's tough. Okay, so, um, in uh, during the Civil War, right? Uh, actually, no, I won't even say that. Lyndon Baines Johnson once said, he said, um, I hope I can remember this quote. Okay, he basically stated that he said, uh. Poor white men would not realize us taking money out of their pockets. Okay, he's like, because we're gonna paint the picture that they're better than the than than the wealthiest black man. Okay. 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 Hang on. Let me, actually, let me just get the, let me just get the quote. Okay. And I, I'd rather just rather have it actually correct. Um, are we supposed to be fans of LBJ? I no, am no not. No, no one's supposed to be a fan of LBJ. Yeah. 
He says, uh, if you convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you picking money from his pocket, and he'll give you everything. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I mean, so I, I bring that up because what has happened, especially here in America, is... <sighs> so, there was a thing that Charles Barkley talked about a couple of nights ago. It was on ESPN or TNT. Okay, and Charles Barkley said this perfectly. Politicians have basically run everybody amok, and it's been we have divided ourselves with this whole Democrat Republican thing. Okay, yes, Democrats have done certain things, Republicans have done certain things, but it's all about these people who are upper echelon. Okay, none of us will ever make the amount of money that these these politicians will ever make. Okay, these senators, um, any of them. Okay, but we all vote for them. We all do all the stuff to to say this and this and this and this them to help us out okay but all they're doing is lining their pockets all they don't care about any of us okay they all uh, they all sit up in the senate and house of representatives arguing back and forth about us getting a fourteen hundred dollars meanwhile <laughs> most of these people are making about five hundred thousand dollars tax-free in their they have special interests aligned with what they do okay? yeah um and charles barkley said this perfect and he was basically stating that all the people who are politicians have divided all of us so i hate you because you don't you're not a Republican and I hate and I hate you because you are a Republican and you, mm-hmm. you're not a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Okay. And obviously with the Lyndon Baines Johnson quote that I brought up was a lot of the poor white guys, especially are very Republican, super Republican, pro Republican, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, can you name one of the Republicans who's actually actually done anything for you? For me personally, I mean, just in, just in general for the aspect of, has that person actually helped you out in your finances? Have they, not even on a personal level, has any of the bills or laws that they passed actually done anything to, you know, impact you? Like, in a positive way. Um, I mean, and the reason why I bring it up, because at the end of the day, you never felt the effects of anything, really. No, I mean, the biggest thing is with Trump's tax plan, I think because of our income bracket and no kids, I think we had to pay more. Mm-hmm. So that really sucked. Right. So if we talk about things, right, I, I just saw an article a couple of days ago that um, Nike made $4.1 billion and hasn't paid any taxes on it. Mm-hmm. Amazon does a very similar Boom. game. Okay, right. So a special interest line, they all got helped out by Donald Trump. Okay. None, do you work for Amazon? Uh, no. Do I work for Nike? No, no, but I got. Under, I know I, somebody who I, does. I, 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 I know people do it too, right? Um, and we know people who work for them, but we don't work for them. We provide these companies and these major people with a lot of finances, but we don't get to see any of that. So you can't tell me that a company who makes billions of dollars doesn't pay any taxes, but me and you, as this small ninety-nine, or not the small ninety percent, but the ninety-nine percent, pay taxes. Yeah, I pay twenty percent. Okay, you know, and you're telling me that a company who makes billions of dollars. Doesn't pay anything. What yeah. do you do with that money? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know man. I mean, that that gets onto this conspiracy theory stuff, but we won't, we won't get there for that. So the uh, next question was what? Um, is Idaho racist? Ah, <sighs> that's tough because we're a red state. I mean, so that the thing about the red states is like that's following in line with the Republicans. So I would say that Idaho is not inherently racist. I believe what happened after World War II was. Uh, guys who came back from the South came up here to come hang out with their Idahoan buddies, you know, and they brought their culture and all that kind of stuff up here because, okay, let's be honest in 17, 
75? Ooh, hold on now. World War, uh, no, uh, Civil War. 75, I believe. Six, uh, uh, 18. 18? 1865 would have been Civil War. I'm thinking the revolution, Jesus. <laughs> Appreciate that. I'm off by a whole century, I'm, and I'm the, I'm the history major. Terrible. Um, so, yeah, so 1865, right? Yeah. So we have the Civil War. The uh, Idaho wasn't even a state at the time, right? So when I see people out here flying the Confederate flag, you're like, how? How did you, uh, you have no bearing in this. Did you come from the South? When I've asked these people, I'm like, oh, so do you, do you have anybody who lives in the deep South? Nope. None. So what ties does Idaho have the Confederacy? You're a northern state at the most part. You are the greater Northwest. You have no tie to the South, the Confederacy whatsoever. And for me, I have a problem with that kind of stuff is when I see people flying the flags of the Confederacy or the Nazi regime, you're flying the flags of losers, people who lost. They lost the war. If you lose a sporting event, do you get to talk about how the game was at the end? No, no one cares. You lost. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than that. It's more than that. Mm. It's, well, we are, we don't want to fly the flags of the Nazis because of them hating everyone who isn't white and blonde hair, blue eyes. Very much so. That's why we don't fly the flags, not because they lost the war. I mean, so in Vietnam, the, there is no like American flags flown in Vietnam because America lost that war. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'm following what you're saying. Oh, sorry. So, so in, like, in the nation of, like, of Vietnam, right? Well, I see what you're saying there. But I think I'm missing your bigger point. Well, it's like, okay, so when I, when I think of people like expressing themselves with the flag and trying to say that it's, it's about the flag and also, just, I'm just talking about the Confederate, Confederate flag okay. and the Nazi flag. Okay, I'm not going to speak about the American flag. When I think about those two entities, okay, when it comes to the Nazi regime, especially for people to fly that flag here in the United States, you're basically allowing the same thing that we fought against to be allowed to be flown here on our our soil. You literally fought a war against that oppression and that tyranny, and you would allow it to be brought into the country and fly that openly. I do have a problem with that. Um, That's, I mean, because basically the the men and women or the the, the men who fought in that war, you're going to say that their fight was for nothing because we're going to allow it in our country to have people fly it around like it's okay. I don't think that's cool. You know, I don't think that's, I don't think that should be acceptable. Um, when it comes to the Confederacy fact, for me, as an African-American, we go back to that, the Confederacy was about keeping the slaves, mm-hmm. like hands down. Uh, if someone wants to tell me it's about states' rights and all that, it's about states' rights to be able to keep slaves. Okay? <laughs> that's, the, the state, that's your state's right. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. about your state right to be able to keep your slaves. Okay, period. Um, and when you go through the history of the Civil War, that's ultimately what it was all about, period. Yeah. Um, so when, when I see that, like for me as an African-American, when I see someone trying to tell me that their Confederate flag, uh, is about the state's rights and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, you're from Idaho and you didn't grow up in the South and you don't have any family member that are, that, that are from the deep South or any part of the South. And you want to have that. And you want to tell me it's about state's rights. Okay. And you're looking at me as a black man. You're basically telling me that it was all about you wanting to keep me in slavery. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I mean, because obviously I see people with their flags on their back of their pickups around yeah. here all the time in oh, this yeah, town. Sure. I mean, like a lot. We're talking about pay it. <laughs> there might be one in my neighborhood. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure. But when I look at it like that, it's like they're so disconnected mm-hmm. from really what it was. Yeah. 
that they really are thinking, I just don't want the president to tell me what to do. I think that's really what they are thinking. It is. But they don't know what they're saying to everyone else around them. No, I mean, um, and that's the thing. It's like, you're, you, 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 honestly, you said it correct. Like, they're disconnected. So, you're, you have, you have good intentions. I mean, because I would agree with some of the things that some of those guys would probably say. I'm like, honestly, man, I, I probably agree with you, you know? And some other people probably think the same way. Yeah. But it's it has become a negative connotation about it that when I, as an African-American or somebody else, looks at that who's not thinking the same thing, I mean, my first thought is, hmm, he might be a little, you know, a little racist, a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. But obviously, like, when you talk to a person, it's, my feelings are this and my perception of that is this. Okay. Well, that's about talking to the individual on an individual level. So it gets a little different because can you have that conversation with that person in the first place to be able to ask them those things? Hmm? Uh, so are cops all racist? No, no. Here's my thing. We need cops. Okay. We need them. Who is going to go out here and go police anybody? It's a tough job. Okay. I feel like they're underpaid just like teachers. Um, if you want somebody to do a better job, um, maybe pay them a little bit better. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just food for thought. Um, when it comes down to policing, okay, some people don't understand policing, okay. Um, police used to be constables, right? Um, they were guys who walked around a, walked around the town with a, with a club, billy club, and they basically kind of rounded up the drunks. That's what their main job was. Policing didn't really come into effect until after 1965 when they allowed the slaves free. After 1967, when the when they when the last slave ship, uh, not like last slave ship, when the last colony uh, in basically Texas um, in Galveston, they let their slaves go on Juneteenth. That's on 1967, yeah, they they celebrate Juneteenth. So even though in 65, when you know, they, Are, you're thinking 1865. I think I'm you said 19. You said 19 this time. Saying, sorry. So then I so, got really confused. Okay, so I was like, so I thought. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. People. So we're saying, 18, we're saying 18. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm saying 1865. Yeah. Okay. Juneteenth. Got it. Yes. That's why I said Juneteenth. Okay. So 1865 to 1867, there's a town in Galveston, Texas, mm-hmm. right? That they had to bring a, bring a, uh, a Navy ship in to come tell them people like, hey, you know, they're, they've been free for two years. And those people in Texas didn't really care. You know, if no one showed up, those, those people would have been <laughs> basically. Um, so. When I when I look at things like that, right? So you're telling me that we have all this moving stuff around, okay? And for me, as one of the African Americans going through the rest of the stuff of this history part, when we get to that that Juneteenth part and everything, it's it's tough because the slaves were supposed to be free, okay? And so when we get back to looking at the flag and stuff like that, right, and how people can fly that, it's really hard for me because I feel like with cops when they did the when they when when they're going through everything that's going on with the, with the with the new flag, right? And you're asking if they're like racist or not. I don't believe that they are inherently racist. Um, policing really kind of happened after the slaves were free, and it was about um, getting them back, basically put back on the plantation. Um, so it's like they're called slave catchers. They were slave catchers, um, and the vagrancy laws came into in, into effect. Okay, mm-hmm. so now now you're a slave who doesn't have a home. You don't have a job. What can you do? Well, you're a vagrant now. You're, yeah. a, vag- you're a vagabond. Yep. Okay. So I'm going to round you up, put you back on the very plantation that I, that you got set free from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when it goes back to the terms of like, like I said, back to the stuff in Texas. Okay. So people were free for a little bit for about two years. Then all of a sudden here comes this other, other colony that wasn't free in Texas. 
Okay, and we have all the influx of, of African slaves that are just walking around, don't knowing, not knowing what to do. Here come the laws in place that basically put them back into the same plantation that they were on. Okay, we get to the 1900s and the early 1900s, and here comes sharecropping. Okay, so you are a slave, basically. Sharecropping is disgusting. I have family who were sharecroppers. I am sorry that that happened. Yeah, that, that stuff definitely happened. So, um, when I look at the policing, okay, um, it's, it all falls in line together with everything, all of it, it all, like it's, I talk about things being deeply rooted mm -hmm. It is deeply rooted and it's hard to have someone say break, have people break away from things that you're deeply rooted in. You know, there's things that even for you, you're like, oh, I'm sticking to that. Cause that's how I feel about it. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Honestly, yeah. all of us are like that. Okay. When I when it comes to talking to people about stuff that you're deeply rooted into because it's into it's into the culture, it's hard because you talk about oh I have a guy who says, you know my grandfather was a cop. Okay, well when was he a cop? He was a cop in the fifties. Yeah. What kind of cop was he? Okay. <laughs> you know yeah. what kind of cop was he? Yeah. I got you. Got to ask those kind of questions. Um, and how I look at this stuff, it's it's not that I believe that all cops are racist because obviously. Uh, people are like, well, this black cop can't be racist. What happens is that black cop is with a white officer and he has to honor the badge. You know, so he might be in an inner city. Okay. And this is just hypothetical scenarios we're talking about, but stuff happens. Okay. Um, you know, uh, black cop is patrolling in Los Angeles, Compton, California. Okay. He's with a white officer. And, uh, you know, they stop the young black man, you know, and basically like the black cop kind of has to show the white cop that, you know, I'm with you, mm. even though he knows that this young man, maybe not have, maybe not, might not have done anything, but he's got to profile him. He's got to do everything to, to satisfy the white officer, you know, because I, cause it's about the badge, not about, it's not about black and white. It's about the blue, you know, cause that, that brotherhood, mm -hmm. you know, that's what, that's what it's about. The brotherhood part, you know, you don't rat on, you don't rat on your brother and things like that. You don't, you don't talk about things. Okay. Um, so you, so this black cop is now in a position where he now has to basically show out in front of this, uh, in front of his superior to make him, you know, make him seem like everything's fine that I can, I can handle what I'm doing, you know, and now you're building, now you're building bad cops. Okay. This is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, last week we were supposed to do this last week yeah. and I had listened, I had binged season three or four of Serial, mm -hmm. the Serial podcast. And she had gone into a courthouse in Cleveland and she had gotten special permission to just record a bunch of things in the courtrooms and just kind of see what was happening. Yeah. Anyway, I went back and forth from cops should not exist. They just period should not exist. Really? Then I would go to freaking criminals should all be executed because they were so bad. <laughs> and then I would jump back to cops should all be freaking executed. Every last one of them. Okay. Then I was like back to the criminals. And then in the end, I was just like, we're so screwed. <laughs> well, so we need, we need police, obviously. Um, if we didn't, we'd be back in that situation where vigil vigilantism uh, would be running rampant. You'd have a bunch of Batmans running around. Okay. Um, and doing whatever they want to. And that's not cool because at a certain point in time, you know, uh, somebody can get told that uh, you did something that you didn't do, and they up up and string you up from a pole. Yeah, and that was and that was it. Yeah, you know, they were your judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. You know, mobs 
can get a little out of control. Right. You know, I mean, you talk about uh, when uh, in France, when they uh, when they stole the Bastille. <laughs> Yeah. You know, what, yeah. What, they, what the whole mob do? They were in there uh, mm-hmm. ripping the ripping the penises off of men. Yeah. You know, like crazy stuff, P- putting people on spikes and things like that. And, you know, and you stormed up. You stormed a prison. You broke into <laughs> broke into a prison to kill people. Um, and that was in, that was in France. Um, so you know, the mob mentality can definitely get get bad. You know, because you have a bunch of people get together and they're liquored up or whatever it may be, and you're thinking that this is the right thing to do. I mean, like, look at what happens when. Um, after sporting events, mm-hmm. you know, major sporting events, people it's insane. terrorize a whole town. <laughs> I have heard that there, that people's strength actually grows when they're in a group. Oh, I can believe it. Like after chants and stuff, you will have measurably more strength. I mean, it's insane. That The adrenaline and your dopamine yeah. are up so high that I would not, I wouldn't even put it past you. Yeah. You know, so that, and the things that you're capable of in the mob mentality, I mean, the movie, the purge literally <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's, it's fictional as it is. Um, a lot of that stuff is, was what we have done. You know, people have done that kind of things before. Um, the genocide in Rwanda with the Tutsis and whatnot. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like you're telling me that a bunch of people got together and said, I'm going to kill my neighbor, you know? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. So disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, but as police being racist in general, um, no, there's good cops. There's bad cops. Unfortunately, like we all know that there's more, there's more, Cops being in the position where you're not doing the right thing and not speaking up about it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to do like a whole episode about this. Maybe it. we could do that in the future. Yeah. We are running out of time and yeah, there are no last few questions I yeah, want to. for sure. Okay. Can you please explain rap? What about it? Like, why is it a thing? Oh, easy. Okay. So, um culturally speaking right so rap music for most people in general and i and honestly like i i have to put it i have to put it perfectly honest black culture is the number one thing that everybody loves mm-hmm. most people do okay we most people take our mannerisms our our sense of style um lingo um food all of it everything okay um you see kids on tiktok doing doing dances mm-hmm. well those came from black creators i just saw a skit on snl where this i can't remember the girl's name but she was doing all these dances that black kids like young kids had already created and she's getting all the advertisement mm-hmm. for the dance on snl but they didn't bring the kids on who actually are the originators of the dance but because she is who she is i don't know the girl um she's on there doing the dances you know um but when it comes to like the music part right it is a, it is basically a, a verse of expression. Okay. And most people would say, well, how come they can't express it in this way? Well, that, that gets to the point where you're a little selfish and arrogant. Cause you're saying you want somebody to express it in a way that works for you, you know? Um, but my expression of my representation of my artwork is not the expression that's supposed to be for you. It's supposed to be for the culture that I'm representing. You know, country music is the way country music is, is for a reason. It is meant to represent the pain that these guys feel in that music. Most country music is almost like blues music because most of the time it's sad. It's related. It's 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 a cousin to blues. It's definitely a very cousin. Now, when we talk about blues music, blues music is very sad. It came Mm -hmm. out for those particular reasons because they were dealing with the blues. You know, (laughs) I'm dealing with heartache and pain. It's the 1930s. and Here comes the blues. I'm dealing with segregation and Jim Crow. I have the the blues. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so... 
Can you explain to me, like, because I just don't, I just don't like rap. Not fair. So I, but I, it's, I don't like it and I don't understand the appeal even. Like it, it doesn't make, it is a foreign language to me. And I'm curious why it's a thing that people like, but it's like so far outside of what I understand that I, like, Mm -hmm. I need some, someone to help me out here. Not a problem. Um, so rap in the eighties, uh, was a little different, uh, mostly about the beats, about the rhymes, the lyrics, things like that. That was eighties, eighties rap. Nineties was a little different. Um, came more about the expression of what they were living through, dealing through, uh, uh, the drug epidemic of the crack, crack ep- epidemic, uh, gang violence, things like that, police brutality. So they, they rapped about what they were seeing. Okay. When the two thousands came about, things started to change and shift entirely. And now the rap wasn't about the lyrics or what you were seeing anymore. It was about the being in a position to be, I am better than so-and-so, you know? Uh, and that's when rap really started to change. 2010, rap changed even more. And then you start getting these off branches of different genres of different people taking different pieces of somebody else's stuff and making it their own. Then you get to the 2020s and it's just like, it's who can be the most outrageous. Hmm. You know, as we've just seen in the past couple of weeks. Uh-huh. So, um, there's a lot about uh, drugs, alcohol, girls, mm-hmm. cars. Mm-hmm. Is this a new development? Uh, no, it's never been a new development with rap or or anything in general. I mean, like, so in in general terms of just of, of men, okay, uh, we go off of things about what do women want. You know, or or we believe what the things that we think that women want. Okay, all right. So you go for you go for the clothes. You think that you think that if you have nice clothes, that this is going to help you get a better get a bit better mate. If I drive a nicer car, if I have the the jewelry, all that kind of stuff. I mean, and it goes back to uh, your your vibe attracts your tribe. You know. Okay. So it's like fishing. If I put certain certain bait out there, I'll I'll get a certain kind of fish. You know what I mean? If you if you bait yourself the right way, you'll get a certain type of fish. You know, um, and that's that's ultimately what it is. But it it's now where it is like I said, it's about who is who is who has the the flashiest show, who is who is the 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 most sought after, who can who can be the most viral, who can who can be the most can I, can, I, can I say jackass? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who can, who can be the biggest jackass? Basically, you know that kind of deal, and that's what it and that's what it is now. So it's not even about the music anymore. It's about the show. Who can be the biggest showman? You know, because a lot of the, a lot of those rappers now, I've heard things where it's like, that's not even that. That's not even who that guy is. He just happened to fall into certain. So like, uh, I don't know if you heard about this guy named Takashi Six Nine. Uh, he's a guy who's a, who's a rapper out of uh, out of New York. Um, and basically, with him, he was in a position where he fell into the wrong crowd of people. Um, some gang members or whatever got him linked up with some other people and basically used him to, to climb to the charts in the, in the rap world. He eventually turned state's evidence on them because they were getting to the position where like some stuff was getting pretty bad. And he turned, he basically turned tail on them and he snitched a little bit, a lot of bit um, and got a plea deal and he's, he's out now. Um, but as well, he's also a quote unquote unknown. And I don't want to say this on the podcast, but basically he was known as a guy who was, who was into pedophilia. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he liked younger girls. Um, and they basically let that kind of go to the, to the wayside for him to be able to turn state's evidence on the group. 
So, um, him, his raps, it's he, he's this guy who has colorful hair. Um, his lyrics are very subpar, <laughs> uh, very subpar. Um, but it's about the show. So most people don't go to go watch his um, or, or listen to his music. It's about seeing somebody who they believe is this weirdo, but they like to watch the weirdo. Okay, that's interesting. <clears throat> what what is with? Do you know the origin of why rap like has this specific delivery of not necessarily notes? I mean, kind of notes. You can. It's kind of going up and down, but it's very spoken a lot of the time yeah. and at such a rapid pace. Do you know why this delivery is a thing? Uh, it, honestly, I don't, but I would go to say it's like, it is think of Shakespearean uh, poetry. Um, for a while out there, Marcus or uh, Romeo and Juliet, that kind of, that kind of thing with Shakespeare and his sonnets. Um, all they did was take the same sonnet and just put, put the lyrics a little faster uh, and put music behind it and basically just, just read from Shakespeare, you know, and you just put your own words on it, your own spin on it. And you put similes and metaphors to relate to something like, um, that's just how the lyrics are. Like, how can I make this into something else and make it relate? And you're like, oh yeah, that, that reminds me of something from my childhood or I've been there before and, it, and it's relatable to you. Um, and that's kind of how the music is for rap. It's like, uh, from different states to state, uh, like somebody rapping on the East Coast that's from um, from like New York to somebody who raps in Los Angeles, um, it's all relatable for the people who live in those states. But at the same time, there's things that are still relatable from that state to the other state. Like, oh, that does happen out here as well, you know. So uh, as an artist, you can your music is kind of like universal. So now I can like, other people can relate to what I'm saying. And then there's some rappers who say things you're like, I can't relate to any of that. You know, because it doesn't make sense. Uh, and they call that mumble mumble rap. So it's that guy's like... Yeah, that's... <laughs> that, that, that. Yeah. Uh, who do you think is the best? Um, I don't have a best rapper. Okay. Honestly, like, they're, they're, they're all pretty... Okay. I, I mean, I listen to it because I like, I like the beat. I like the beat. Um, I listen to a guy, his name is Kevin Gates. I like his lyrics. Um, just because of what he's saying kind of speaks to me more, um, uh, cause he's an, he's an older guy. Um, and his lyrics are a little bit more, more powerful to me, um, just on his delivery, um, versus, uh, some of these other guys. It's, it's literally the same thing over and over again. It's just about how you change up about who you slept with or who you shot. <laughs> that's, that's about it. Man, from an outsider looking in, whenever I just am sitting next to a car who's blaring it, I'm mm-hmm. like, what? What, why is this a thing yeah. that it, it just, it's like another world. I do not understand oh, it. Oh, no, totally. So conversely, are there things about white culture that you're just like, what in the actual heck is going on? Mm, something sometimes. Um, the constant need to uh, be nosy. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> that, like, that one for me is... Uh, you know, because uh, like in like in the in the black community, or especially in the minority communities, we're not so concerned about everybody else. Okay. You know, like that's fair. I mean, like I, I, honestly, like uh, I, I've I've never noticed it in another group of people so much, but like just nosy, like you're in, in, in everybody's <laughs> business, like about what, you know, like your neighbors over there. I, I wonder what Jim's doing. Over there. What are you worried about Jim for? You know, or anything whatsoever. Uh, I mean, like uh, I can okay. 
it's not, it's not, a, it's not a racist thing that happened, but it, I mean, kind of maybe it was. I don't know. Um, I remember a few years ago, we were, uh, me and my, my teammates were in, a, um, in uh, we were in Montana, of all places. I got to set the, set the stage for this. We're four black guys in Montana okay. at, a, uh, at, an, at a Albertsons. We go in different directions to go to the store to get where we're getting. And this guy stops one of my teammates and is like, he's like, hey, what are, you, what are you guys doing? And my buddy's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I saw this one guy going this direction. I saw this other guy going another direction. And my, my teammate was like, he's like, well, do you work here? And he was like, well, no. He's like, I was just asking. He's like, well, if you don't work here, then what are you, what are you asking me for? He's like, well, I was, just, I was just being curious. No, you're being nosy. <laughs> you know? And, and for whatever apparent reason, you're being nosy. Even though you're leaving the store, you're wondering what somebody else is doing for whatever purpose. Mm. You know? I feel attacked. Sorry. <laughs> Has that happened to you before? No, I'm just apparently very nosy. Are you really nosy? Well, I think I'm curious, but maybe I'm just nosy. Okay. That's so funny. The thing about being curious is 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 to be inquisitive, and that's that's not a problem whatsoever. Mm. But to the to the level of degree when I'm like, it's like you're going out of your way. To stop somebody and ask them if they're supposed to be here. Yeah, that's fair. You know, okay. things like that. Or if you're you're driving and you're like, "Oh, that looks quite suspicious." How does it look suspicious? What about it? What what, what about it is suspicious? Because you not knowing me, driving up to me, asking me what I'm doing here, poses a bunch of different questions for me. Because I'm like, "Well, first of all, do, one, do you live here? Two, who are you? Three, what is it your business?" You yeah. know, because at the end, and that that gets to the point where it's like, wherever I am as a person, you believe that my person is your person. You know, like you you believe whatever I am doing has somehow affected you in some way, even though I'm walking into the store and you're walking out, and your transaction has concluded, but yet you feel the need to wonder what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, why? Yeah, that's super weird. That, that's kind of weird. Right? I'm with you on that okay. one. You know, and things like that happen to people, and it's like. I've seen, you know, you see the videos of how that altercation started, but it's, it, it literally is an altercation that started from someone being too damn nosy, <laughs> you know, like mind your, kind of, kind of mind your own business sometimes, you know, and you would, you would have been just fine, but you know, you, you just had to say something. I mean, okay. I was in the airport going to, uh, to my sister's wedding. I'm, I'm face full of McMuffin. Okay. Early in the morning for breakfast. I have my mask off. Uh, and this lady walks past me. She said, you should push your mask on. I turned to her while I'm eating my McMuffin, like face full. And her husband just, he yells out and he's like, Sarah, just leave it alone. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, I didn't even get a response out, but I'm like, ma'am, I'm in the middle of eating my, my food. How was I going to put my mask on? Yeah. And first and foremost, you're, you're so concerned about me with the mask on that you felt the need to want to say something. You don't know who I am. I don't know who you are. You don't know what kind of person I am. And not to say that I would attack or anything like that. I mean, we're in a public place, but regardless, yeah. you know, for even if it was just an altercation of a situation of us yelling at one another. You felt the need that you needed to say something to me. And the thing with people like that who do that kind of stuff is you don't know how someone's going to react. So you got yourself and you got to, what's the, uh, okay, uh, I'll literally bring a quote from the Bible for this. Perfect. Oh, oh. Uh, as one who would seize a dog by the ears is one who meddles in affairs, not of their own. Yeah, fair enough. Yep. Enough said. Uh-huh. <laughs> what are you doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's about it. It's fair. Yeah. That's a fair critique. Well, I'll move to my last rapid fire question. <clears throat> Do you like The Office or Parks and Rec? I like The Office. Okay. Creed is my favorite person. 
<laughs> he's he's hands down my favorite person. He's so funny. He it's my so favorite funny. one when they it's the Halloween special. And he's covered all, in blood. He's covered in blood. <laughs> and everyone else is in crazy costumes and it just goes to his talking head and he goes, I totally forgot it was Halloween. Right. And you're <laughs> like, so you don't know why he has that blood on him. So, right. Right. And they don't ever tell you. No, I for the longest I always wanted to believe that he was a scrang strangler. Yeah, that's a theory, but the other theory is that it's Toby. I heard that as well. Uh, someone was talking about that because he's so quiet and, and he's so close to the case. And I'm like, yeah, I feel, I feel like that's something that a serial killer would do. Yeah, he was so obsessed with the case and how they didn't have the right guy. <laughs> it's totally Toby. It's Toby. It sounds like, it sounds like Toby. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think that Genesis 1 through 11 is history or legend? Oh. Um, as the Christian in me, my faith would tell me that that is history. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, history. As the as the scholar in me and historian, I would say that it's legend. I definitely have to play devil's advocate on that part. Yeah. Um, just because the you know the depictions of what they talk about, it, it gets the the biggest question of all is okay. So Adam and Eve are here. How does everybody else get here? And if you were to go through it as understanding, well. Most of us are cousins <laughs> at that point is, is how you would have to understand it. Um, but the, uh, the Christian in me would say, okay, well, you know, it, it, it happened the way that God intended it. You know, and that's a, it's a tough question sometimes. Do you think that there are aliens? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can believe that. Um, but see, here's the thing. It's like, so some people are like, oh, if aliens are here, why aren't they coming to this? Like, well, if you have advanced technology, you can easily sit out from your spaceship and realize that these people are on this planet killing Fighting each other. with each other. Right. Why would you want to come down yeah. here and even even think about trying to talk to us? They, it's like, man, you can't even talk to your neighbor without yelling at that person. Why would I want to come down here and talk to you? I'm an extraterrestrial. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have a, I have a cure for all the things that are happening on this planet, but I don't want to give it to you because you might kill me. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. You know, so yeah. <laughs> Who or what inspires you to be your best self? Ooh. I think it's my future self. Oh, okay. Um, I'm constantly wanting to, uh, not constantly wanting to get to the next person, but like constantly wanting to evolve and change. I, I, I look forward to that process. Do you have a particular goal in mind? No, it's, it's about me. I, I guess I would say I have one. When I go, my biggest thing, you ever watch the movie Coco? Okay. So Coco was about this kid um, whose grandmother died. Uh, and he's looking for the family in, in like, it's like, I think they're looking, he's looking for him in like, uh, in the afterlife, basically. Like he gets sent to the afterlife as a kid and he's looking for his grandfather and stuff like that. So his grandmother can see him basically in the Hispanic culture. It's like you stay alive through the people who talk about you. Okay. And for me, I want to be able to go through my life when I'm done. And the people who speak well about me is the leaving, leaving something with them. So when I'm done, my legacy still lives on, even if it's not, if I don't have children or anything like that, but the stories that people talk about me, you know, I want, I want, you know, uh, a good name is something better than anything else. Yeah. So I guess that would be one of my goals. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Thank you. Uh, so that wraps it up. Would you like to give your Instagram or anything? You don't have to. Uh, yeah. Um, you can find me at uh, alpha fit 007. Um, on Instagram. Um, other than that, uh, I'm pretty much there. If you go to my Instagram page, or you can check out my YouTube channel at Fat Boy Fit 007. I love James Bond, so I'll put 007 in there somehow. 
Um, you can find me on YouTube as well. Fun. Yeah. Okay. Heck yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me.